1: Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet.
2: Walk up. Huh? Walk up to the mic.
1: Test one, two, three. Okay.
0: Test, test. All right. it's got me too.
1: I'm nervous. You hit it.
0: I hit it. <laughs> we started. <laughs> what do you want to say, bud? Why don't you say your name?
1: Hi, I'm Jack. And keep listening to this podcast. My <laughs> uncle is awesome.
0: <laughs> You're the best, man.
1: <laughs>
0: what do you want people to know?
1: Um, that you are really smart and you know a lot about this topic. Er, <laughs> topic.
0: <laughs> okay. You're pretty smart, too. Thanks. What do you want to be? Do you want to be a venture capitalist? No. <laughs> what would you like to be?
1: And a hockey player in the NHL.
0: Ooh, cool! Like who?
1: Like Jonathan Taves.
0: Oh, he's the best. Chicago Blackhawks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Are they going to win the cup again this year? Yeah. Sweet. Maybe your uncle Nick should have done a podcast about hockey.
1: Yeah. It'd be <laughs> a little more interesting. <laughs>
0: All right. Do we want to get anything else on?
1: Um, no. Why
0: don't you say something nice to all the people out there listening?
1: Happy holidays. Uh, Have a good Christmas and New Year's.
0: That was my nephew, Jack, who heard his sister on the program back on the episode with Jerry Newman on non-unicorn investing. He couldn't wait to get his own shot to do an intro for the show. I recently was fortunate enough to attend his sub-zero degree outdoor hockey game, and I don't think I've ever been so excited to freeze my butt off for an hour while watching that game. Thanks for doing the intro, Jack. Okay, uh, welcome back for part two of the interview with David Cowan on space tech investing. In this segment, we get David's thoughts on how the stack in tech innovation in the sector will play out, how SpaceX may be limiting advancement in the industry. And why now is the right time to invest in space, and we'll also get David's predictions for the sector over the next ten to twenty years. Here's part two of space tech investing with David Cowan of Besmer Venture Partners. You were talking about how SpaceX may not be moving the industry forward in the in the best direction why Why do you think it's not moving the industry sort of in the in the direction that? that you'd like is it because of the nature of large installations and massive rockets as opposed to more nimble and smaller installations
2: that's, a, that's exactly right. I mean think about Elon's background. He really had to he had to forge frontiers with nobody else's help. So he had to build his own rocket and of course his mission is to go to Mars and the way he looks at it is that he has to do this all himself. He has to figure out how to do everything. And if you look at his plan for getting to Mars, it's really all the technology is contained within SpaceX. Personally, I actually don't think that that's the most likely or most cost-effective or the safest way to get to Mars. I think the way we're going to get there more successfully is through the development of an ecosystem in space, much like we saw an ecosystem develop in the internet, where Startups do different things. You've got startups who who make great propulsion, and startups who deal with the radios, and startups who are great at launch, and startups who are great at dealing at dealing with the human factors, the, the maybe spacesuits and the and the and food and other things in space. And it's this ecosystem that's going to uh, allow us to colonize the low Earth orbit, and then the moon and then asteroids and then mars and then the moons of jupiter and saturn i mean it's it's this it's this uh ecosystem that's going to allow us to get there not a monolithic mission by a single government or company and uh and in a way what elon's doing is is really working against that ecosystem
0: it's an interesting paradox because it's it seems like it was the the degree of vertical integration that allowed them so much success on the rocket side but it seems like they're trying to to extend that to all applications and all challenges involved with the mission to mars which may be uh too much vertical integration
2: yeah look I, i'm i it's a it's a uh it's a hard thing to to bet against elon doing anything that he sets <laughs> his mind to uh, and, and certainly you know what he's done is is extraordinary and very very important, and I very much hope that he's able to do exactly what he what he's planned to do. But I I I see what kind of the rest of the world is doing, and I, I think it makes a lot more sense. Let's let's figure out how to start putting equipment on the moon that's going to mine water from the moon, and then use that water to build fueling stations in space, and then we can get rockets into space and refuel them for the trip to Mars. And we can, you know, improve the robotics that we have for doing mining in, on asteroids before we send them to Mars. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can do. And meanwhile, by the way, not by the way, most importantly, we need to solve the human factors for human survival in space. Elon, in his presentation, he poo pooed that as being something that was not a big deal. But that is very inconsistent with everything that I've heard from anyone involved with any manned space programs, uh, we have not figured out how to uh, sustain the health of astronauts in space for long periods of time. And if, in fact, Elon is successful uh, in sending a colony to Mars any time in the next fifteen years, it's unfortunately likely that those people would be dead within three. So, Yikes. You know, I I I think the. The, the most realistic part of his plan is the part where he says that he he wants to die on Mars. That part is quite achievable.
0: <laughs> so, David, I, I recently read this Fortune article titled, VCs invested more in space startups last year than in the previous 15 years combined. An excerpt from this article states that 50 venture capital firms invested in space companies in 2015 signaling that venture capital has warmed to a space industry it has long considered both too risky and too slow to yield returns. Uh, David, why do you think now is the right time to be investing in space?
2: Well, because of these major technology changes, we have the opportunity to harvest 50 years of Moore's Law. This is all happening at once, and, and, it's, and it's happening in Silicon Valley, where the innovations that are enabling this are not hardware or materials innovations, but they are innovations around software and data science and machine learning. Um, these, these are all things that we're good at that we can, that we can build. And so you know, I think that, that in combination with the somewhat enabled by the improvements that Elon Musk has brought in launch and that we're seeing from others in launch as well, uh, now is a great time to be focused on space. yeah
0: you, know, you just mentioned data science and the amount of data that that can be collected and analyzed now via via satellites is just an order of magnitude greater than than it ever has been. Um, how do you think about the data opportunity and what roles does data play in driving space tech forward?
2: right, so I talked about the the shift from monolithic space missions to constellations, and it, you could think of most of these constellations as being floating sensors, sensors that are not unlike the sensors we put in cars that help us learn how to drive or uh, the sensors that we put on shipping containers uh, to track them. The, the, the whole area of sensors and collecting that data and learning from it, this is not specifically a space technology. This is something that, that we've been unlocking over the last decade you know, on Earth. Uh, taking advantage of big data, NoSQL technologies, taking advantage of the types, the levels of computing we can do today, taking advantage of tensor processing units that allow us to run neural networks at unprecedented speeds. As we make gains in data science and machine learning, that creates a lot more compelling reasons why we want to put sensors in space as well. Now we can actually do something with all of that data. The most, you know, I would say, the most important sensors that we're putting in space today are weather sensors, so that we can uh, track the weather and hopefully do something about the, the changing climate in terms of responding to to it here on Earth, uh, understanding what's happening, so we we understand how we might be able to mitigate the long term damage. The previous weather sensors were were really put on orbit on these large monolithic satellites that that I talked about. And so if we can disrupt that approach with a CubeSat approach, we'll get a lot more data, much faster, much cheaper. Another common sensor is just tracking logistics here on on Earth, um, where things are. That's economically important. And then finally, there are sensors that use either optical images or multispectral or even hyperspectral imaging or thermal or other types of sensors for assessing the health of agricultural crops, uh, which is increasingly important as we develop technologies to feed uh, the growing human population.
0: Awesome. So David, as you look forward to the next 10 to 20 years, uh, what are your thoughts and or predictions on how space tech will evolve and impact society?
2: Yeah, well, what's most exciting is that I can't predict it. As I, <laughs> as I, as I said before, there, there's, a, there's an ecosystem emerging. There's a foundation of companies who are enabling launch and communications and data analytics. And the real value is going to come from all of the applications that people build on top of this foundation, all the interesting things that people decide to do in space and the places where we decide to go. And I, I've heard some just unbelievable great pitches from entrepreneurs who, who have the vision of going to mine the asteroids and bringing the minerals back to Earth or building pharmaceutical labs in space or companies like, like Robert Bigelow, who's the first real estate entrepreneur in space. He builds habitats, and he's putting them – attaching them to the ISS, but he's also going to put them on the moon and on Mars – um, there, there are so many interesting businesses to build, and right now we're really just laying the foundation. We'll, we'll see what the e- ecosystem brings us. But I do believe that over the next few decades, we are going to see the, the, the domain of humanity spread to, to nearby space and then the moon, asteroids, Mars, and, and the moons of Saturn and Jupiter.
0: David, if we could address any topic related to startups or venture, what topic do you think should be addressed and who would you like to hear speak about it?
2: Well, we touched on this earlier, but I would love to hear Elon Musk talk about how he expects to solve the the human biological hazards of space. I think what he's doing is so important, and I worry that he's not spending enough attention on that. I, I would hope that he and other startups do. And I would like to know what he thinks about that. I would also, something else that really concerns me about the continued success of the internet, as well as our just prosperity, our national security, our safety, our rights, is that the Trump administration is undertaking policies that really threaten to jeopardize our privacy and our security. Not only is the administration itself showing signs that that look like it's headed towards much more U.S. population surveillance and tolerance of government surveillance of the U.S. population. Uh, but I also worry that Trump's dismantling of regulatory entities will eliminate the rules that are compelling businesses and government agencies today and utilities today to put in safeguards around cyberspace. And you know, making cyberspace safe is something that is a Public problem, uh, cybersecurity is like pollution or drunk driving or vaccinations. If you're reckless about it, you endanger the people around you. If your if your computers are infected, those can be used to attack others. And so, we really need the government to set rules here. We need the government agencies like FTC, SEC, FCC, uh, you know, CMS, and others to identify, promote, and enforce the best practices and technologies that we need to make cyberspace safe. I, I don't know who it is, a Trump administration, who would talk to this. That's part of the problem. I don't think anybody there is worrying about this, and I think we need to.
0: Yeah, I noticed your, your blog article on this uh, on the 4th, so encourage listeners to go check that out. And David, you know, we had Ethan Kurzweil on the program, and he cited you as one of the, the most inspirational voices to him. From your standpoint, you know, what startup investors have inspired and influenced you most and why?
2: Well, that would be my mentor here at Bessemer, Felda Hardiman. Felda's been at Bessemer for a long time. He's still here today and successful active venture investor. And and along the way, by the way, he's been a professor at Harvard where he taught the venture capital curriculum there to uh, a whole generation of VCs today. It was Felda who... First, pulled me aside in 1992 and said, "You know these deals that you're doing, they're they're real. They're, these deals that you're bringing in to show us, they're really awful. You have to stop. <laughs> you need to step back and think about what you want to invest in." And so he said, "Go off and go on a journey and go find smart people and come back with some roadmaps of of where you want to invest." And I, and I went off and I did that, and that was terrific. And I went and I talked to Eric Schmidt, and he was at Sun at the time, and Al Lill at Gartner and Rick Sherland at Goldman and and various people and I came back with a plan and it, it, that was that was really successful. So he told me to make a roadmap. Felda told me that you know the best way to be successful in VC is to is to have a uh, a strong equal partnership of, VC, of, of investors, not to have one, not to be a managing partner, but to recruit great investors, and that together we can make better decisions and, and, frankly, more money that way. And finally, Felda told me not to be such an asshole. And I think that was also really, <laughs> really helpful advice. And so he's, he's he's been the most influential in my career.
0: Awesome. And then finally, what's the best way for listeners to connect with you?
2: Oh, I would recommend that you sign on to Smule and sing a song with me. Let's do a duet together. And if you don't want to do that, then you can email me at david at bvp.com
0: you're calling out the uh, the acapella group huh
2: that's right we, we can all make music awesome
0: well thanks again for sharing your time and, and going a little long on this today with us david this is this is hugely helpful for me and i'm sure the listeners are, are really going to enjoy it so so thanks for doing it and can't wait for the next time
2: oh it was fun thanks for having me nick <music>
0: At this point, if you're a VC, you've heard of Carta. You've probably even accepted securities from a portfolio company on the platform. It feels like every new company is using Carta, and there's already 16,000 VC-backed companies on the platform. They also offer tools and services for VCs, like fund administration. Carta has an army of fund accountants delivering high-quality service and dedicated teams of engineers, constantly improving the functionality of their user-friendly investor platform with in-app quarterly reporting Very fun to finally get a chance to go deep on space. Let's recap the key takeaways. Key takeaway number one is called the segments within space. David talked about the subsectors within the space category and which areas VCs have invested in. The first category was aerospace contractors. These are companies that are supplying NASA with completely one-off custom components and systems. The second category includes defense contractors. Similar to aerospace, but these contractors serve government's national security. The next category is commercial satellites and constellations. This is the most active area for startups. Hundreds of startups have been founded in the segment over the past three years. And many entrepreneurs are not experienced aerospace people. More often, they are software developers. And a key focus area here is on the data, making this subsector more data science than material science centric. The next category is mining. There is a new sector that's emerging around mining operations, with plans to mine the moon and or asteroids. The next sector is commercial tourism and exploration. These companies are focused on taking travelers to space and potentially other planets. The next is satellite subsystems. This includes equipment such as antennas, solar panels, and propulsion. And finally, the last segment is the ecosystem of support services for space operators. This includes companies with ground stations, satellite tracking, collision, and launch. Okay, let's move on to key takeaway number two, which is the death of Space 1.0. Recall David's comments that we've been operating on space technology that was developed for the Apollo program. This tech was designed to be really long-lasting, militarized, redundant satellite equipment. And by the 1990s, satellites were costing billions of dollars, taking 10 years to build, and could weigh many tons. Meanwhile, terrestrial-based telecommunications costs were dropping precipitously, causing the entire commercial satellite industry to collapse. So all the major Space 1.0 companies started filing for bankruptcy, including Teledisic, Iridium, Globalstar, TerraStar, and others. And NASA continued to be defunded by Congress over the years leading up to 2008, when they defunded even further and canceled the successor shuttle program. Then, to further exacerbate the problem, the available space for satellites in geosynchronous orbit became exhausted. There was no longer room to launch satellites with new tech and capability. So ultimately, space had all the ingredients for a market primed for disruption, which is just what happened in key takeaway number three, the birth of Space 2.0 with the proliferation of mobile devices, components in the devices increased in capability and dropped in price. And it just so happens that cell phone components are the same as what you'd find in a satellite. There's power management, battery, antenna, radio, accelerometer, and camera. So founders with fresh eyes asked, can we make a satellite out of these cell phone components? And can we put it in low earth orbit where there's plenty of available space? It was at this time that a physical spec called the CubeSat was created. And Skybox Imaging put up their first satellite in December 2013. Many different teams of entrepreneurs could now leverage a standard for developing space tech. Coincidentally, advances in 3D metal printing had allowed companies like SpaceX to develop much better rockets and do it much faster. So while a completely new approach to satellites had emerged with the CubeSat, a completely new way to address launch had emerged with the SpaceX rocket program. And David believes it was the convergence of the CubeSat innovation and launch technology that has caused this renaissance in space today. Which leads well into our tip of the week, and this week's tip is called Vertical Integration and the Space Stack. Despite advances in recent years, the space industry has had its major challenges. Namely, launch remains the biggest challenge. There's the cost of launch, including the payload, the risk that your payload blows up, and the timing of launch. Many have to wait long durations to get their payload into a launch queue. Another challenge has to do with the human biological hazards of space. David thinks that this may be one of the hardest problems to solve. And finally, there's the ideological challenge of the space stack, so to speak. The leader in the sector, SpaceX, has found success by adopting a vertically integrated model. Similar to what he's done with Tesla, Elon aims to build the components, subsystems, systems, integration, and assembly all in-house. And it's this approach that has driven much of their success, allowing them to rethink and redesign rockets from the ground up. But it also can be limiting. David discussed the technology ecosystem required to achieve objectives like interplanetary travel and asteroid and moon mining. These are not easy challenges, and as with any industry, it's unrealistic to think that one company can solve them all. I'd imagine that many tech companies grapple with the choices of vertical integration and ask the question, do we bring things in-house or do we leverage services and or components that allow us to focus on our strengths? It's common for leadership to consider this when building a solution that addresses a specific problem. What's more unique is a company asking themselves this question about an entire sector. And Elon's mission to Mars is much bigger than solving the problem of launch. To illustrate the scope of the mission, we did an entire interview about it with Tim Urban. So, in a way, David believes that Elon's approach is limiting the advancement of Space 2.0. While Elon attempts everything in-house, David roots for technologists anywhere with both his voice and his wallet. It is reasonable to believe that, regardless of what Elon does, creators will continue creating, building solutions to both narrow and broad problems. And regardless of how this plays out, I couldn't be more excited to see how the space stack evolves and what the frontier holds. Okay, that'll wrap up today's show. The lineup of guests on deck has got me really excited, and all the emails and comments lately have been amazing. While my schedule gets more and more difficult to manage, there's nothing more I enjoy than connecting with listeners that are building and funding the future of tech. Please do reach out if you have a question or if you just want to say hello. Okay, I hope your new year has started off great. Until next time, overprepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. We'll See you again soon.